You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, We're going to continue our series. I don't know, we're in like part 25 of our midweek series. God's cure for the common life. And tonight is living in your sweet spot. Living in your sweet spot. We're going to start in uh, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Here's what it says. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You were made in God's image. You're not just like anything else that God has created because of all the things in God's creation that he made, of all of the, from the stars in the heavens to the earth to the, to the, to the plants, the animal, the fish, the, everything that God's made is special and has a God-given purpose, but there's something unique in mankind that God has formed you and I. He has formed us with his image and his likeness. If you wonder why the devil hates you and I so much is because we remind him of the God who's formed us in his image and he comes to, to steal, kill, and destroy uh, what God has, has made special. In verse 8, it says, God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So God created a space, created a place, and then he placed the man that he had created. Tonight, we're looking at living in, the, in, our, in your sweet spot. And what that means is, you know, I, I, my baseball career ended around Little League. When I was a, a chaplain with, uh, there was a professional baseball team I was a chaplain with for a short time, and uh, while I, uh, when I started, they had me fill out this this form uh, as kind of a formality, but also just to get some more information. It was funny. The, the form asked what my baseball experience was, and uh, I, I ended up, I had to decide, do I put N.A. or do I put T-ball? And, you know, when you, when you go to hit a ball with, and, and that's, I'm, I'm throwing out there, that's my credentials, because apparently somebody's hoping that I'm going to hit, uh, you know, some good uh, home runs with softball. Uh, but, but here's the thing, when, when you hit the right spot on a baseball bat, or, you know, golf clubs, anything that's used in athletics, oftentimes there's that sweet spot is the place of most effectiveness and impact. It's the place, if you hit it right there, if you, if you hit that baseball right in the right spot of the baseball bat with the right uh, velocity and strength, you can have the greatest potential impact. And I remember as a kid, I had a metal baseball bat, and I remember if you hit the ball wrong, didn't matter, if you hit the ball wrong, you had this, that's the problem with metal baseball bats. The whole thing shakes, and your whole, you got that like all the way up your arms, and it's, it's painful. Uh, that might have been why I quit. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, but, but it's just one of those things that when it comes down to it, actually, I was playing a Little League for the ice cream truck that would come after the game was over. <laughs> come on, Jesus. And uh, so, yeah, what about those Ninja Turtle ice creams with the little gumball on the nose? Yeah, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But here's, here's the story. So God places, he creates the garden. And then he places man at the place of his design, his God-given 
place of calling and purpose, God placed Adam from the very beginning in the place that he was to have the most effectiveness and fruitfulness. And what we're looking at tonight, last week I talked about purpose and the calling of God, how God has called us with a holy, holy or uncommon calling. And your calling from God is not ordinary. We looked at how we're, we're ultimately, all of us have the purpose to reflect Jesus to the world. All of us have the, pur- the purpose to know and walk with God, to experience Jesus. And then, but then God places us in specific areas and specific assignments for the greatest impact or effectiveness from our lives. And that's what we're looking at tonight. That, you know, there's, there's here's just a reality that me personally and you personally Uh, are not called to reach every person or go to every place, but you are called to go to somebody in some place. And as the church all begins to live out their God-given purpose, we will reach every person in every place. And God has called the church to reach the world. But the only way we're going to do that is for the entire church, every person that's a believer in Jesus, to be equipped and mobilized to do what they are called to do. And you find that your greatest place of fulfillment in life, the greatest place of effectiveness in life, is in, it's in your sweet spot, it's in your lane, it's in the place that God has called you you to have the greatest impact, and he places you. We start with this verse because in the very beginning, God creates man, but then he places man. His, his, His place of assignment or calling wasn't even something he chose. It was something that chose him. God placed him. And we've got a few points tonight, and I, I want to start with this. Number one, this is the longest point I think I've done in a while, so we'll keep it up there for a minute it's for anybody taking notes. Uh, but here's what it says. Purpose is found in doing the thing I'm called to do, or you, you doing the thing you're called to do, in the place that you're called to do it. Doing the thing that you're called to do in the place, and I'd even add with the people, that you're called to do that. See, there's something in life that we find we're created for effectiveness. And the Bible way of putting this isn't effectiveness. The Bible uses the term fruitfulness. God calls Adam and he tells them both Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. He, uh, King James says, replenish the earth. God gave them a purpose. And, and while part of that, of course, is, you know, have a family, you know, populate the earth, grow, impact the world, steward what I've given you, all of those things, there's an assignment, I believe, on every life. Every, every person is created in the image of God, and every person has a calling from God. And that looks like us discovering, when we discover the God who formed us, we discover the purpose for our calling. We discover what we're born to do. And our purpose in life is found in doing the thing that we are called by God for. And as I've said many times, uh, you know, I think most people, well, everyone has a calling, but most people don't find it. And even fewer people who find it walk in it. And so we, we looked at last week, you know, surrender and obedience. That's what enables us to walk in it. Acts 17, talking about the place. Acts 17, 26. It says, God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he's determined their pre-appointed times. So, you know, I, I have people all the time, you know, say, man, look how crazy things are in the world. You know, why was I born in this? Why, why do I live here and now? Why do I have to raise kids in this time? And what, what if it was not an accident that, that God placed you right here and now? What if you were born for such a time as this like Esther? What if you were sent here by God for a reason? What if you're raising kids for this time? 
And here's what it says. He says, God is pre-appointed, determine the pre-appointed times and the boundaries even of their dwellings. And the reason God has placed us where he's placed us and in the times and in the seasons and the locations, even for moments, you know, I've lived in a lot of different places and there's been an assignment in every one of those seasons for a purpose. And that's what I've often asked God. You know, I've been in different jobs and different environments and I've asked God, what's your purpose in this place? Because I'm not just here because I filled out an application or, or because I looked for, you know, this was the best house. You know, we didn't just pick a house. We prayed. God, send us to the right neighborhood. Let us be where you called us to be. And when you recognize that you're not going into places and, and encountering people by accident, but God's actually appointed it for, his, uh, for his, his calling and his assignment. When you recognize that, you don't, you don't just go through life. You actually go with purpose. And this is important. So he, he goes to the next verse and tells us why. So that they should seek the Lord. God placed you where he placed you, both so that you would seek the Lord, but also that others would encounter him through your life. In the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Next verse says, in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, so, so the point is that God places us in, in seasons and in locations, even in, uh, around certain people, all these things. And it's, there's a, 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 ultimately, I believe that God has a God-given perfect will for our assignment. Now, Romans 12 uh, describes that, you know, there's, God's will is meant to be three things. It's good, perfect, and pleasing. God's will is good. So if I choose something apart from the will of God, it may look good, but ultimately it won't be good. I found that the hard way. <laughs> I've made decisions with my own understanding or because, you know, on, on the surface it looked a certain way. Or, and, and, but, you know, deep down in the inside I didn't have peace about it. Didn't, didn't feel God's direction or leading in it. And, and so God's will is good. It's also perfect, God's perfect plan, that, that God has something that when I, when I say yes to Jesus and I say yes to his plan and I'm following him, he's going to bring me into places and into relationships and around people and different things that, that if it's his will, it's his perfect will. That means that no matter what I think about it, God says it's perfect. Because I can look at things and go, I don't know if this is perfect. But if God's called you to it, it's his perfect will. The last one is pleasing because God's will, when I'm living for the will of God, it means I'm living to please God, not anybody else's opinion. I think one of the reasons why a lot of people don't follow or discover God's purpose for them is they're worried too much what people think. You know, it's kind of like when you're in high school and, you know, this isn't everybody's experience, but for a lot of people, most people, it's kind of that season of life where you're most concerned about what the most amount of people think about you, even though, you know, at the end of the day, anybody realize after a couple of years, it doesn't matter what anybody in high school thought of you? <laughs> and, and, you know, so this is, this is huge. Because when we recognize God's will and we step into it, we want to find our, our sweet spot. We want to find, well, God, what is the, the, what's the good will, perfect and pleasing will for, you, for my life? And why that's important is, you know, I can have the right, uh, you know, if, if I've got a hammer, it's great for the purpose that a hammer is created for. Are, are you with me? There's some applications that are the best use for a hammer. And there are some applications 
that are not the best use for a hammer. If I need to fix my TV, you know, there's some things that we are created uniquely to be most effective in. And when we discover that and step into that, God can have the greatest impact through our lives in that area. So let's, let's look at the story. Um, in Matthew chapter 9, you know, Jesus is ministering to people and he sees hurting people, he sees broken people, he's, he's praying for them, he's healing the sick, he's, you know, feeding, providing, doing all these things that he does. And I've got the Message Bible version of this. I, I like just sometimes to read from a different translation because sometimes we're so used to hearing the same thing that he, he looks out and has compassion on the multitude and he says, he's telling his disciples with him, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest. Here's what the Message Bible says. Uh, what a huge harvest. Looking at this crowd of people that was hurting, that was in need of God, he said to his disciples, how few workers. So he says, get on your knees, start praying for the harvest hands. Pray for those that are going to go into the harvest field. And I like the way the Message Bible, in the very next verse, now there weren't chapters and verses in the original you know, New Testament and Old Testament, so going into the very next verse, it's connected to what just came before it. Chapter 10, verse 1. I like the way the message Bible puts it. The prayer was no sooner prayed and then it was answered. It tells the disciples, hey, pray, pray for workers. It's kind of a setup. You ever have God put something in front of you that gets you excited? Like, oh man, that's awesome. I want to see something happen. And then you realize God's called you to make that thing happen. Maybe you're concerned by something. Keeps you up at night. See the need. See what people are dealing with. To see the problem. To, to, to see that and you're burdened by it. And, and you pray for God, do something. God, move in that area. And then all of a sudden something begins to stir on the inside. And it's what the Bible calls purpose. <laughs> Maybe you're called to do something about it, to pray heaven down, to serve and meet needs, to use your God-given gifts, to reach and love people. See, in the place of your purpose, in the place of your calling and even assignment from God, there's also the provision you need. He sends the 12 out first. He sends the 12 later would be apostles, but he sends 12 out. And when he sends them out, he says, I don't want you to take anything with you. Don't take your wallets. He didn't say wallet. He said, don't take your knapsack. Don't take any silver or gold. Don't take any of that with you because I'm going to send you and I'm going to take care of you. And here's, after this happens, they go and they, you know, they preach the kingdom. They tell people about Jesus. They see sick healed, the demons cast out. They do all the stuff. And then they come back and here's what it says. Luke twenty two thirty five. 35. Jesus said to them, when I sent you without money back, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? And I love this, because I almost think there was just something they didn't notice. It was like, they're just going along doing what they're supposed to do. And all of a sudden, they realize, oh, I didn't lack anything. Because your provision is attached to your assignment. What you need is often found attached to the assignment of God. What if God put a, 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 a dream in your heart? business idea, ministry idea, I don't know. And it was the thing that changed your family. And it was the thing that changed your neighborhood. 
and it was the thing that changed Mason City or Clear Lake or whatever it is, that wherever God's placed you, what if, the, what if the thing that God put on your heart was the thing that could have the greatest impact, not trying to be somebody else, but being who God's created you to be? Because you'll find what you need, and it's not just about money, it's about everything you need, and you find it when you discover what your God-given purpose is. And here's, here's what I found. Oftentimes, God brings you what you need after you've pursued what he's told you to do. <laughs> I don't know any time that God's told me to do something and I had what I needed before I went. But it's in dependence on God that we see God go to work in his greatest way. And I, I found this, that when I make God's business mine, God makes my business his. God, God takes care of my family. He takes care of my needs. He takes care of what, what, what concerns me. But when I put him first, when I find his purpose, and I, and I go after that. Number two is this. We need to work from a Jesus-centered life. And here's what I mean by that. God places... Adam in the garden, but he doesn't place him there and put him in a day spa. He, he, he doesn't place him there uh, and give him a sofa. <laughs> he, doesn't, he, he places him there to tend the garden and keep it. In other words, he gives him a J-O-B. He gives Adam something to do. And in the midst of the garden, it says that God places two trees. There's all kinds of trees, but he places two trees. One's called the tree of life, and one's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you know the story, sin entered in. The fall of man began with a decision to disobey God because God said, don't eat of this tree, eat of every other tree. But there's one that's not good for you. That one's not for you. Don't eat of that tree, and that's the one that they ended up disobeying God and, of course, partaking of. We'll talk about that in a second, but I want you to catch this. Um, because it's, it's, it's the, the garden is a picture of what God's design is for every single person. God places you, and he places you for, a, for an assignment, a, a, a purpose in life, to tend, to keep, to replenish, to, to, to reach, to serve, to, to build, whatever it is, and however it looks. But for that to be effective, we have to recognize what Adam had in the garden that many times we miss sight of. Do you know the most important thing in the garden wasn't the trees? It wasn't the animals that Adam would name with God. It wasn't any of those things. It was actually the presence of God in the midst of the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, the first thing they did was hide. They tried to hide from God. It's not any different today. When we fall or fail, we feel like we have to hide from God. We run from God. We try to cover ourselves with our own efforts, our own, uh, you know, God, I'll try it this way. I'll, I'll, I'll never do this. I'll do, and we have all these deals we try to make, but nothing can change us without going to Jesus. And they hide from God, and it says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, obviously, God was coming to, to, to have fellowship with them. But you know what I love about this is while the tragedy is that they hide from God in this moment, the promise was 
that God's presence was there in the midst of the garden to walk with them. God always desired to walk with you. God always desired for you to know him. And so your purpose, disconnected from his presence, will always leave you empty, frustrated, disappointed, burnt out. And it's in the midst of, that's why I say we need to work from a Jesus-centered life. All throughout the Bible, God would prioritize for, we, we've talked a lot through the series about in the Old Testament and the pictures of the tabernacle and the ark and all those different things. And, and I told you this before, that when God had Israel rearrange their camp in the wilderness, they, they would have three tribes camped on one side, and on, the, on, the, on the east, and three on the west, three in the north, three in the south, of the 12 tribes. They rearrange, and they would position themselves with the ark of God right in the center. Now, they did that because you're supposed to surround what you want to protect. But it was also important. God actually told them, I think I've got the slide for this, but he told them, he said, I want you to turn, this is in Numbers, I think in the first, second chapter. He says, I want you to turn every single tent in all of Israel, the whole camp, face the ark. Now, I don't know about you, but strategically, that doesn't make a lot of sense to have everybody looking in at the middle instead of out towards the dangers. <laughs> But the focus was never to be on the enemy and on the problems. It was to be on the person, the presence of God at the center. And, and, and you know, there's this idea, and it's, it's, you know, there's some things in life that are true, and there's some things that are even more true. There's a lot of principles in the Word of God that they lay a foundation, but it's kind of like, you know, I'm, my wife and I, when we teach our, we homeschool our kids and, um, you know, pray for our kids, for us. My wife does a great job. I'm trying to teach them math and I'm trying to show them some stuff. That sounded bad. Um, no, I'm trying to teach my kids and I'm going through this and I realize I don't have as much patience as I thought I had. But as I'm teaching them, you start, you know, I, I'm sometimes wanting them to be down here and they have to start over here. And so I'll lay something down as a foundation and then the next, you know, it just keeps building. And that's the way God lays a principle, teaches us. And one of the things that I think is important, we have foundationally, is this idea that, you know, I put God first in my life. And then I have, you know, my family. And then I have, you know, church and different things that I'm called to do or my business. I, and we put things in order. And while that's true, there's something that's much better. I think the reason why we do that in that order is because we think, well, okay, well, you know, sometimes I've had things out of order. Do you realize what it's like to have things out of order in your life? Things, when they're out of order, when God's not at the center, what ends up happening is I place something else there. That's what the Bible defines as an idol. Idols are not just a statue that's worshipped or an image. It's whatever I put at the center of my focus and my attention. It's whatever is more important to me than him. And any of us, sometimes all of us, can easily have other things become, but here's what happens on the negative side when we just approach our life in an order fashion. When we say, okay, God's first check off the box. Then I have family check off the box. What ends up happening is we compartmentalize our life and then God's Sunday morning and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe some Wednesday nights, there's, that I've got other things and I'm trying to figure out the priority instead of recognizing that's never the way God designed it. 
The way God designed it is not to check off a box and go, okay, God, family, this, that. It's to have God at the center of every single area. Instead, I comp- we, we compartmentalize, and then what happens is we wear our worshiper hat, we take that worshiper hat off, and then we put on our, 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 our father-mother hat, and then we take that off or throw it at the kids, and then we... And then we've got our business hat, our employee hat, our, you know, we're, we're, we're wearing all these different hats and, and we, we feel burnt out, we feel disconnected, we, and then we just try to make it and, oh, Sunday, good, I get to put my worshiper hat back on. Instead of recognizing that if he's at the center, I never have to take that hat off. And every other area begins to work in a way that it's designed to. There's two trees. Tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life sustained them. It sustained them, but God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, that sounds so odd to think, well, shouldn't we know good and evil? But you know, the picture there is what happens when, you know, before that they were innocent. But the enemy came and tried to call into question the word of God. Try to get them to feel like you're lacking something. You need to find what you need outside of God. And and what ends up happening is, of course, they disobey God and they end up, the, the, the consequence of their decision to choose their own way is our own way leads to death. The wages of sin is death. So... So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you know, sometimes we think, well, it's the knowledge, it's the evil fruit that tempted Eve. But I think sometimes it's the good that tempts us but it's the good without God. Instead of going to the tree of life, and and, and can I just tell you, the tree of life in your life and mine is Jesus. And when I have Jesus at the center, I have access to something that can sustain my life every single day. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is trying to live. It's what religion tries to give you without God. It's good without God. The world tries to kick God completely out of the picture, and we have humanism. Where I'm at the center, it's my best. It's good without God. The problem is either one of those produce the same thing. Whether it's the evil or the good, some of the worst things that people have ever done in human history were all in the name of something that seemed good. But when you take God out of the picture, it always leads down. It always leads to destruction. So, so here's, here's what we need to do. You know, there's, it's kind of our, you know, and on the surface isn't bad, but we oftentimes, you know, think, well, I've just got to have me time. Anybody say that today? Don't raise your hand. Especially if you've got lots of kids, you're like, "I, I don't know what that is. Um. And, and let me, here's just my one caution with this. No matter what it is, listen, you need to know how to rest. God gave us a Sabbath. And we live from the tree of life. Do you know God created the Sabbath before the fall? And it's a part of God's design. You've got to know how to rest. But rest in a way that's life-giving and leads to freedom. Because I think the world's picture is that we just need to let off some steam. 
And what we, what we end up doing is because we've taken off the worshiper hat and we put on some other hat, then we end up feeding the flesh instead of sowing to the spirit. Okay. This is, let me give you some Bible real quick. Um, Judges 17, verse 6. And there's another verse that's on the screen that the, these, are, these are bookends in the book of Judges. Judges has like a really weird season where some of the weirdest things in Israel's history happen. If you just read it, you can see it. I mean, just all kinds of strange stuff. And it happens in between these two statements that are identical. This, this phrase is repeated twice, and I don't think that's an accident. It's repeated in Judges 17, then again in 21. And here's what it says. In those days, there was no king in the land, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I don't think any time you take God out of the picture in all of human history, that's, the, that's what happens. When we're absent the king's influence in my heart and in our society at large, but it starts with me. It starts with you. You know, we can be really good as Christians at pointing the finger at the world that doesn't even claim to know Jesus, but we've got to have the king's influence in our heart. Because the world can't be changed by something they've never seen before. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. But, but here's, what, here's what it says. Everyone did what's right in their own eyes. So I'm led by my own understanding. I see the world the way I think and feel and the way people tell me instead of allowing the king's influence, the one who created me in his image, the one whose purpose good, perfect, and pleasing things for my life, that God, when I don't have the influence of him upon my heart, I end up finding something else. But when I've got God leading God brings me into my purpose. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whatever God's placed in front of you, wherever God's placed you, whatever God's given you, here's what we need to do. We need to do it all to the glory of God. So, so you're, you're a parent, you're a husband, a, a, a wife, you're, you're in your job, you're in, you know, whatever it is. Do you realize that you can, you can honor Jesus in it? What I'm trying to say is there's like this weird thing in our culture that we've somehow like disconnected Sunday mornings and church from the rest of our life as if there's holy is Sunday morning and everything else is common. But that's not, remember the opposite of holy is common. Kadosh is uncommon. We saw that the last several weeks in the series. So what if you began to look at every part of your life as a moment that God wants to step into? Everything in your life as, as worship is not just the, the song at the beginning of a service, but it's everything I do because I'm now working to glorify Jesus. I'm working to honor God. I'm using my gifts to honor God. I'm, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it for his glory. <laughs> and so that drives my direction. It drives where I start, which is the presence of Jesus, the tree of life, and where I end up which is living out my purpose in the world. Number, uh, Romans 13, 13 and 14 says this, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, revelry or drunkenness or lewdness or lust or strife or envy, but put on the Lord Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So you're led by one of those two trees. <laughs> and I want to challenge you, go to the tree of life because you'll find freedom there. And the problem with religion is it's, still from the wrong tree. It's good, but God's not behind empowering it. So, so here's the difference. You know, religion says try better. Do, do better. <laughs> try harder. 
But, but the tree of life is an invitation to encounter Jesus, and then he empowers you to live out his will. Gives you new desires, gives you freedom. Third and final point is this, be faithful and fruitful with what God has given you. So let's go back to Genesis real quick. Uh, Genesis 2.15, the Lord God put man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. The previous chapter is God creates man in his image. In the image of God, it says, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Do you know what the war in our culture is about? It's about the image of God. That's, that's what it's about. It's always been about the nature and the image of God. Do you know why the enemy's after marriage? Because marriage reflects the church and Jesus. That's what Ephesians says. I mean, if we recognize this, the enemy's trying to attack God's image in people. Okay, verse 28. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. I mentioned this earlier. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, so he tells them, uh, King James says replenish. You know, there's some different approaches to Genesis when it comes to what, what may have happened before the garden. And some thoughts is that, you know, in the fall of the enemy that caused chaos in the earth. And so God was telling Adam to replenish the earth, restore it to its... But whatever God's doing with Adam, God places Adam in the garden and he says, fill the earth. In other words, God places him in a, in a, in a, in a uh, territory, in a sphere, and says, I want you to expand this. I've placed you somewhere, and I've called you to be fruitful. And I say these two things. We need to be faithful and fruitful. Because there's two aspects. There's two approaches to where God has placed you. The first is this. We need to be faithful with whatever God has given us. Whether we feel like it's important or not, whether we feel like we're noticed or appreciated or not, but we're faithful because we know who called us. And we know who's going to get glory out of it. And he places us, and he calls us to be faithful with it. You know, here's the promise. Whatever we're faithful with, he can entrust us with more. I see this all the time with people. We get frustrated because we're not where we want to be in life. We're frustrated, you know, in our relationships. We're frustrated with where our business is, where we are in our career, you know, all these different things. We're frustrated in even our, in our relationship, our, our faith, our relationship with God, and we're, we're frustrated because we think, I should be further along. And faithfulness is recognizing that what, where we're at, we need to steward it well. And if we'll steward well what God's given us here, he can entrust us with more. The opposite is true. Why would God entrust me with more if I've not been faithful with what he gave me? I know you're praying for a better car. I'm feeling... so. so, so. <laughs> Sometimes we need to take care of what God gave us now and appreciate that. Be faithful with it so that God can give us something new and entrust us with it. So, but we also need to be fruitful because I think in the church, we've reduced faithfulness to a level where we no longer expect effectiveness. 
So we, you know, we, we say here with our dream teams, many of you have been through next steps. We always tell people, we don't want people serving in areas that they don't feel gifted in, one, and they absolutely hate. So if you hate to smile, we don't want you greeting. <laughs> You're not happy. Anyway, okay. And, and, and so we want to recognize this. this is so important, church, because somehow along the way, we've been faithful with things many times, but we've stopped expecting to be fruitful. God's not called you to just be faithful for the sake of being faithful. He's also called you to be fruitful. And what do I mean by that? Sometimes we're doing things the way we've always done them. We follow the formula. We're checking the boxes. But we're no longer expecting God to enlarge our territory. We're no longer expecting to be effective or fruitful in, in the areas that God's called us. And you know what I've realized over the years? There's some areas of my life that if it's not fruitful... I need to change something. And you know what it usually is, nine times out of 10? Somewhere along the way, I've stopped going to the tree of life in that area. I, I've started serving in my own strength. I've, I've started becoming a professional Christian. I've, <laughs> you know, we, we start checking off boxes. You know, I'm, I'm reading the Bible because I'm supposed to read the Bible instead of actually digging into it and, and feeding on it like it's the bread that I need just to make it through the day. I pray just to check it off the list instead of going, God, I need, I need your presence more than I need breath in my lungs. I need you. It's, it's what happens when we lose sight of what really matters. Instead of realizing that God created you for fruitfulness. He created your life to have effectiveness and purpose and meaning and impact. So let's go back to the tree of life, church. Let's go back to that place. And from the place of his presence, what does this look like? When, when, when God says to put him first, it's not just to say, and I, I've, I talked on this recently, how we start our day with Jesus. It's so important to start your day right. Start your day with Jesus. But you know what that does? It's not as if we go, okay, I spent time with Jesus. Now, now I've taken care of that. Check that box. And now I'm going to take care of all the other things. You know what happens? Putting Jesus first sets me up to have him at the center. Because then as I'm dealing with my, as I'm raising my kids, did I say dealing with? That was a bad way to put that. As I'm, as I'm, and I start to get frustrated or something, then I remember because I've been with Jesus that morning, then he starts working on my heart, how I'm communicating, how I'm treating. Are, are, are you with me? Get to work and you're not just making it through the day, but you're realizing I've got purpose. God, who, how can I impact somebody? And it's not, you know, beating people over the head with the Bible at work. No, no. Listen, you do the best you can. You be the best employee. Can I, can I just say this? If you're the worst employee at your job, stop witnessing. You're like, how can, how can you say stop witnessing? <laughs> do you know your witness is as much what you do as what you say? So we want to glory, we want to represent God well everything we do. We want to treat people well. We want to love people, even ones we disagree with, especially ones we disagree with.
And then they're going to ask, and you're going to be able to share the reason for the hope that's in you. When, when they're hurting, I can't tell you how many people over the years don't want to hear a thing I have to say about God. Or you know, my, my, my wife and I both, we've had people that just, they want, they want to distance themselves. But then when they're hurting, they go, you know what, I know who to call. Can you pray with me? Because you've, been, you've, you've represented Jesus before them. I know we all, we all make mistakes, but nobody's supposed to be perfect. You know, I, even with my kids, I'm not a perfect parent by any means. This is I probably represented even tonight. But, you know, part of me leading well is being willing to repent before my kids and show them what you do when you don't do it the right way and how you go back to the tree of life, how you go to Jesus. Would you stand to your feet? We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.